What's up, everybody? This is Bootstrapping Sassy Millions. I'm Mike. This is Kevin. We are the founders of Spectora. And on the podcast, we just take you through stories and lessons learned, taking our startup from zero to an eight-figure business. What's, What's going up? on? What's up, dude? We're almost at 500 downloads all time on the podcast. I just looked. That's pretty cool. And we're this is our 20th episode, right? 20th episode, yeah. Goes we have some stick with itness. Uh, 13, I think, was the you're going to stick with it if you get past 13 episodes. Nice. Well, today I wanted to talk a little bit about something we've been discussing a lot lately of just hiring at different phases. And when you hire for hustle and heart, and then when you hire for experience, um, when you hire kind of the Swiss Army knife, first when you hire specialists, um, when to consider consultants to come in and help you really get to a certain place and some of the factors that play into all of these decisions. Yeah. It's what we're thinking about right now. I think we're in a, we're in a hiring phase an intense hiring phase, bringing on what 10, maybe 10 people, which is like a what 20 or 30% increase in headcount. Yeah. We started the year with 20. I think we're at 30 now and we're thinking we might hit 40 by the end of the year. So things are moving quick. It's following kind of our trend. I think we've doubled our headcount every year, the last four years. And so um, there's a lot to consider, especially when you're hiring at the scale, because if you have kind of uh, strategic errors in your hiring mentality, well, it just kind of um, magnifies across the entire company, right? Yeah, everyone, everyone there's, I'm sure there's some stat of how much it costs you for a bad hire, but it's like we've, we've felt that a few times and um, we're, doing every, we're doing our damnedest to not feel that burn again. So do you want to go back to the beginning and talk about first hires, kind of how we approached and when. I know we've maybe touched on this before in previous episodes, but it's worth going back again to say what MRR were we like, okay, we can hire someone. Yeah. Yeah. So rewinding back to when, you know, this must've been what late 2017 when we were like, okay, something's taken off, we're overworked, but we have some money. What do we do with it? I remember we first were like, Hey, we can't commit to full-time employees. Let's just bring on a couple basically contractors and just have them like answer chat, do some coding. And so I think we brought on two contractors um, on the coding side that very quickly didn't work out. I think it was somebody that, you know, they wanted to be involved in like big level strategic decisions really quickly as if they were co-founder when we were like, no, dude, we just need somebody to help like crank out some features and not um, feel like you're part of this like inner circle because it, it just wasn't warranted. But we also had a contractor who was like, hey, can you help design some of the websites we're building for customers? And can you also just answer questions that are coming in via email and basically whatever else we need you to do? So, yeah. What do you remember about that? I remember us maybe not, not maybe, I remember us not knowing for sure what we needed. No clarity. Like, this is probably very familiar to most people. You don't have clarity on what you want and and the job you need to be done. You just think we need someone that can do everything. And you think there's, there's all these people out there that can design and build websites and do customer service, maybe do some sales too. And, uh, you know, history told us that was really hard to expect from one person. Um, it takes a special person to, to do that and they exist, but if you find one great, hold on to them and keep them forever. Cause, uh, it's hard to be multifaceted in that way. So I just remember feeling some, um, relief, when we found someone that just did customer service and did it well, even though you asked lots of things, your first employee, but specialization earlier is one thing that jumps out is I would, 
do that differently if we knew now, knew then what we know now. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I remember, you know, with our first contractor, we, at some point we were like, Hey, we're going to go a different route. This is, doesn't feel quite right to have you doing so many different things and um, great dude. But I think, you know, of all the things you're asking him to do, none of them were like his wheelhouse. And so it was like, okay, you're doing a bunch of stuff. Okay. And, um, but it's not the route we want to go. So then we said, Hey, let's take the risk, hire a full-time employee. Let's have them um, just do customer support. That's, that's what, that's the pain we are feeling and let's start there. And so we brought on somebody, we didn't necessarily look for somebody with a ton of customer support experience. I remember we interviewed people that were like, oh yeah, I worked, I was like a team lead at this company and I've done this or that. But for some reason that didn't appeal to us as much as somebody that just seemed to be a hard worker. And so, yeah, so we ended up hiring somebody who hadn't really um, done anything in the realm of tech. They had like gone to law school, decided they didn't like it. They were a pro athlete at one point. And so we saw somebody that was like, oh, you have some heart, you have some hustle, and you just seem like you'd be a great person to come in and do what the stuff we need, which right now is customer support. And so what, what were your thoughts on making that decision versus the guy that was like, oh, well, when you look at the KPIs and talk to time average and how to make sure we're doing the most, you know, they, they spoke all the jargon of a support team, which we were so far from. We were just like, oh, we're just trying to talk to potential customers and help them use our product. We don't have KPIs. We had to Google what a KPI was probably. <laughs> um, that Well, I'll, first I'll say the first contractor hire, what I want to wanted to point out too, was that we also were very easily swayed by just people we thought were cool that maybe we thought would be fun to hang out with. And that can work out as it did with our first full-time hire. Cause it was someone we knew someone that um, we got along with, you know, interpersonally. And so not looking at the job didn't do, didn't serve that first contractor hire well. And so that didn't work out, but then it ended up working out well when we found someone that we just got along with and we liked their background. So I thought about it as, has this, has she done really hard things in her life? And like, yes, the, the law school working hard to be a pro athlete, takes hours and hours, days and weeks, months, years of doing something really hard repetitively. That's something you can easily ask for and find in people is like, what have you done? That's kind of, you know, people that have had shitty jobs. I love, you know, I love now when I hear that they've done a hard job, telemarketing door to door knocking, I'm like, yes, tell me about it. So that was probably the, the it factor was like, you can stick with something. You have discipline. You have to have some level of discipline and that, that wins out early on when things are messy. Cause uh, yeah, she couldn't probably talk about KPIs and uh, you know, and metrics and um, all these, you know, corporate kind of ways of talking about client success. Yeah. Yeah. So then we would go on to hire um, a first developer hire and he's somebody still with the company. Now he's been, um, he didn't need a ton of structure. He was somebody that was used to kind of being a solo developer um, on a remote team. And so it's like, okay, you didn't need a ton of structure. You're able to just kind of do stuff, kind of move quickly. The development style was kind of what we needed at the time. I think there's been some challenges over time as we had more structure, more um, process. But at the time, it was like somebody that could move fast, cut corners when needed, and um was just kind of down to, to throw himself into stuff. Talk, so, I want you, I want to hear from you how that, what that unlock was like, because I think for a lot of, I don't know who our listeners are, but I can only imagine there's a fair amount of like indie hackers 
kind of the ones that are one, two, three, four person company dev co-founders. I, I see a lot of them not being able to let their hands off the wheel or hire someone to take over. So like, I want, I'd love to hear your perspective on what did that allow you to do? Where did that allow your mind to go? Yes. I think so much of it is like making sure you have an accurate assessment of your weaknesses and strengths and like knowing where time is best spent. And so at the time, you know, we, we've talked in past episodes where my mindset for development is like move fast, break things, like kind of shoot from the hip and just that, that revenue driven development that I talked about. And um, that has its place at the beginning. And then I think when we got to that point where we needed a dev hire, I need somebody to kind of fill in the cracks. I need somebody that could um, do some of that, like kind of harder work of like refactoring something I already built, but making it like stable, more efficient, more performant. That's stuff that just mentally, I know I'm not interested in. I like blazing ahead, making new things, but I don't have the discipline and diligence to like remake it well. And, um, and that's okay. I think there's some people that that's really what they want to do is optimize, maximize efficiency and their mindset's geared to that. They, they're more of a craftsman of the code. Whereas to me, I'm like, I'm thinking about how to build a business. And so that enabled me to focus more on like the, the stuff, like the new features that I want to build that enabled me to talk to more customers to make sure we we're building them right. That enabled me to, um, just help out on the support issues because I still want to be engaged with our inspectors very regularly. And so um, I think for the first several months, he was just rebuilding some of the stuff I quickly built um, kind of on like a server side rendering, very data inefficient way of, of our core stuff. And so there was core stuff that was taking several seconds, sometimes 10, 15 seconds to load on a thing they had to do like a hundred times for any given day. So I was amazed at how, um, we had users at that point, given how slow some core features were. But um, he went to work on just rebuilding those, putting them into a front-end framework, making sure that we had properly optimized all data structures around it. And so, I mean, it enabled our users to have a much more enjoyable experience, enabled me to build more features. And I think it kind of was, it was definitely what I needed at the time. Um, now, of course, you know, the one thing that I wanna talk about too, there's always a sense, I think, I don't know if there's always a sense. For me, there's always this idea of like, oh, do you hire somebody that's like better than you or somebody that is um, like less experienced or skilled than you at different things? And um, that's a really hard question if ego ever comes into play. And I think there was definitely times where, you know, maybe we interviewed somebody, it just seemed brilliant. And I thought in my head, oh, how can I manage somebody when they know far more than I do about certain things? Cause I still want to be the guy with all the answers, the, you know, head engineer or whatever. And, um, in retrospect, I wish I would have shed that a little earlier and said, Hey, totally down to hire brilliant people that know way more than me in a number of areas, because that's, that's how you grow. That's how you advance the company forward. You can't have the founders be the bottlenecks because of their limited knowledge base. Like at some point, the founder's job is just to get the right people in place and remove barriers to accomplishing what needs to happen. And so um, I think that's something to ask yourself early on when you're hiring, how much is ego getting in the way versus the very real constraints of we can only afford so much. If you can only afford so much, that's okay. You, that, that gives you that constraint. But if you're interviewing people and you're like, Ooh, they might be smarter than me. I don't want to hire them for that reason. That's problematic. So I would say reflect on that very early on. 
Yeah, no, that's a great point. Um, I, I have a, a theory now or a hypothesis or whatever that technical roles, engineers, marketers, you don't want to go early career because that's hard stuff to learn on the fly. It's hard stuff to just become good or proficient at quickly. You're going to do a lot of handholding and teaching. And we've each gone through our pain in different ways with that. Whereas sales, customer success, I think you can get hungry, likable people that end up doing good at the job or good enough to where it like moves the needle. Um, and so like, that's kind of the division in my mind that I just kind of was thinking up was like, okay, you can mold people in certain areas. Um, at least for us, for our business, it's worked out well in some areas and in others, if I can go back and do it again, it's like, Nope, go straight to the top. It hurts, but pay more, um, take a, take a few thousand out of your pocket each year to give to this person, because then you're not going to have to be hovering and micromanaging. It's like stuff will just get done the way you expect it to. I love that. That's such a great point. Cause you're right. Like every junior hire we've hired mistake didn't work out. You just can't, as a startup, you can't spend a ton of time teaching and nurturing somebody for the long term. You don't have time for that. I think that's for the big companies to do. So sorry to everybody that's, you know, just coming out of boot camp. It's really hard for a small scale company to, to do that. Um, but you're right. Like the people that I guess it's a different skill set. You know, when you're hiring for sales, for customer support, people have been honing how they interact with others since they were toddlers, right? And so those that have done it better, those that do it really well, okay, you're just taking that skill set of how to interact with people, how to be likable, how to listen, how to be empathetic, and applying it to a business context. And so it makes sense that you can have people who have never worked in SaaS, never worked in business even, and do really well at customer support, because that's like, who they are at the core is like, oh, I help people. I listen, I care. I, I solve problems for them. They don't need to have done that job previously. So at, at least that's what we've seen, right? In our experience so far. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it gives us a clearer picture going forward. Now thinking about this next chapter, we can kind of fast forward and say, there's still certain roles where we're considering bringing in an experienced kind of, um, you know, head of VP level type people for certain roles or even outside consultants versus promoting from within. Um, and it's still a constant conversation we're having daily. Yeah. So we're, kind of, go ahead. I was gonna say, we're, we're, how are you thinking of this when, you know, just yesterday I presented you with a you know, proposal I got from these outside consultants that holistically come into your business with five people that are VP level type operators and they integrate with your team for like 12 to 18 months um, it's going, you know, it's going to cost 20 to 30 grand, uh, a month. And that's one approach that I think most people probably just poo poo on right away. Cause you're like, Oh no, we want control. We want to, you know, hire in house and, and we can do it ourselves or we can, I can figure this out. What, what went through your mind when you kind of started thinking of that alternate way of doing things? Yeah. I can't say that I know for sure. Um, yet, but it's, it's worth exploring in my mind and um, to kind of set the context. So we're at this phase where we're, we know we need to rapidly scale up, right? We have like great product market fit on, you know, we have a couple products now and they're both seeming to do the job. We don't really have a solid sales engine yet. So that's something that we know we need to like quickly ramp up, formalize, get in place to where we feel like it's a repeatable process where we can know our numbers, know that, Hey, when this happens, we add another salesperson, they can be productive within X amount of months and they're generating this much revenue per 
Like we need, we need to systematize it instead of just, oh yeah, we have a couple of people that call our free trials and see what happens. Um, and then on the marketing front, it's like we've had a flat line of free trials for most of the year, basically. And so we're like, okay, how can we grow our growth? And so we have these challenges on the growth front. Um, and then just to give a little bit more context on the engineering front, like in the past year, we experimented with using contractors that were very, very specialized. So we used a contractor for rebuilding RoboLab and Flutter. And this is a guy that had built like Flutter data libraries. He, he came in not knowing anything about our industry, but was really effective being managed by somebody that was on our team internally and um, was able to move quickly, build a very robust mobile app that we're about to release to the masses that's gonna be like a solid and stable foundation for, for years to come. And so I think to answer your question, there's such a time and a place for bringing in people with expertise that don't maybe know your industry that aren't gonna be on the inside with your team completely. And I think it's when there's these things that just require knowledge and reps, um, and so sales, for example, you know, I think sales, a good salesperson can come in learn an industry, learn the competition, but really their skill is relating to people, being diligent, being disciplined, having that grit to just keep making calls, to keep bringing their energy to every single phone call, every single demo, following up and having that thick skin to keep following up to make sales, right? And so like the industry knowledge can be learned better than you can teach somebody from the inside, hey, here's like, you know, what, what you, uh, all, here's the skills to sell. That's a really hard, hard thing to absorb quickly. And so I think when it comes to sales systems, it's fascinating to think about, oh, here are people that have done this, that have implemented this at hopefully dozens of companies. Can they come in and just like learn our space a little bit, but help us fast forward maybe a year? Because we could figure everything out. I believe that, you know, we can figure anything out giving unlimited time frame. But if we want to move fast, if we want to, you know, build products for these adjacent verticals that we're talking about and not delay another year or two while we get it off the ground as a, in that kind of slow bootstrap manner, then yeah, maybe it does take bringing in people that are like, hey, here's the blueprint. Let's tweak it to your needs. Let's see what happens. Um, but I don't know. I want to look more into it. But what, what's your thoughts? What, why is that appealing or not appealing to you? Appealing to, yeah, fast forward with expertise. I think it, it whenever, whenever there's decisions of, okay, new CRM or X amount of hires or setting quotas or whatever the decision point is, there's like a research process that goes into it. There's like the learning and figuring out. And so it, all it does is give you confidence to pick a direction to go. Cause it's not like they, it's not like consultants or anyone you bring in for sure knows the answers for your business, but they have confidence to make a guess. And then you adapt, you still have to adapt and maybe check on it from there, but at least it gives you that first step confidence um, to go down a path. So like that, that's very appealing. Um, experience just uh having seen hundreds of more salespeople or marketers or engineers whatever the the segment of your business is they've worked with people they know how humans react to different processes and systems that's that's big because uh i like to think every company has unique people but probably not when it comes to like uh human habits and like systems it's like they probably all um have certain reactions to to different systems not appealing 
the unknown of sinking the money in and it's not what you thought. It doesn't go deep enough. Um, quirks with our industry, like we found in the past, some people are like, oh yeah, just do this, just do this. This works for my business. And we're like, well, you know, home inspectors and contractors don't really behave that way from what we know. Um, I think outside consultants, there's always that risk of internal morale of saying like, oh, now I'm listening to these people. You just brought in, you know, a man, a middle manager to tell me what to do kind of thing. And so yeah. that, that feeling, um, but yeah, it given more interviewing of them, it's, it's definitely appealing to say, is this a fast forward button in exchange for money? Cause if it's, if it's purely on a time versus money scale, you know, we have, so we have a war chest built up to do that. And so that we have to ask ourselves, what's our money doing otherwise. Right. So what's the alternative? I guess we could hire very experienced heads of marketing, heads of sales, head of revenue, whatever, and um, say, hey, come in here, take the expertise that you've had in other space or in other companies, make make moves here. These are our goals. Grow our free trial rate by X percent in X months, whatever it is, right? So like, what what do you think of when you think about that alternative? Well, I think we're, we're in a sense somewhat experimenting with other departments because our, you know, our, our head of engineering, head of product haven't been head of engineering, head of product, like sure they've started companies, but they haven't been like corporate head of, of these departments. And so it's fascinating to, uh, to maybe even see how both approaches play out and to see, you know, where things go because the war for talent seems pretty real right now. Like, you know, when you, when you hear about, salaries going up and mid-level and upper and above talent really demanding high pay really high pay in this in these times so that's a factor um and then the interview process of having to be so solid to like go all in on that person knowing the things you want them to know versus a temporary relationship where it's not you know it's not going to be like that employee relationship where you invest potentially have to part ways someday. So, you know, thinking of it on the fly, it, it, it feels exhausting to, to hire head, you know, head level people, head VP level people. It's almost like you need help with recruiters on that even nowadays. Yeah. Cause the ones that are looking, sometimes you don't want, and the ones that are, you know, the ones you want are at a, a company already. So it's like, how do you find them? You know, I think it bears mentioned that like, there's this phase that maybe we um, can dive into a little bit. Back in the day, it was you and me at the top, and then this whole layer of people below us. Everybody was kind of a doer, right? We were hiring people to write code. We were hiring people to talk to customers. We were hiring people to sell. We were hiring people to do marketing. And so you basically were the head of sales, the head of uh, marketing, the head of our website services division. I was basically head of product, head of engineering. Um, and I guess I probably wore like finance and accounting hats at times. Right. And so that's, that's one phase of growth. And that's probably our first few years really. And then we hit the last couple of years where we're like, okay, we need to hire leaders now because there's no way that we can each have 10 or more direct reports. And so I think that's like this new, this different stage of hiring where priorities shift, right. Where you're thinking, okay, I need to bring in people that are, I either need to promote from within the people that show leadership capacities at that ground level and really hope that we can nurture their leadership skills or managerial skills 
their inspiring um, abilities and um, to elevate them to a leadership role. And we've done that quite a bit, actually. And I think, um, I mean, what does that do? That gives somebody that's maybe earlier in their career the opportunity to fast forward. If they have what it takes, if they're willing to put in the work, they can fast forward their career quickly. I think that should always be um, a possibility. That's what keeps, I think, team morale up. That's the appeal of startups is, hey, I can move a lot quicker. I can compress 10 or 20 years into like five years if we, if we do everything well. Um, it's probably cheaper because you're taking a risk. As a business owner, you take a risk saying, hey, you don't have experience doing this shit, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a bump and pay, but it's not gonna be as if you had to come, come in with two, three years, five years, 10 years experience being this head of whatever. And so, yeah, so they get the potential fast forward, you get maybe some cost savings, you're promoted from within, so it keeps employing morale up and they already have that industry knowledge. So you're not bringing in a leader and then saying, hey, you gotta learn everything about our industry. So that's like one way to do it. The other way is, yeah, do you bring in people that have leadership skills that have, um, in, in the case of our head of product and head of engineering, they had built companies. And not to the level that we have, but they built companies that had, you know, customers and revenue and they had to meet the needs and they had to adjust and iterate. And so, and they had employees, so they had to learn how to hire and fire and manage. And so they had some of those skills, but we were like, hey, this is like a new level. This is a, a bigger playing field. Um, come in, do this. It might be, again, same thing. It's a little bit cheaper on our front. But we also use some other levers like um, equity, uh, profit sharing to say, hey, if we do this well, this is going to exceed anything else that, that could have happened in, in the same time period. And so it's a fascinating phase where you're debating, hey, do I bring in somebody with experience with the resume, pay them, you know, that kind of uh, director or executive level salary? Or do you promote from within and really hope that you can get it right? And so it's an experiment for us. To, we're, we've done a lot of promoting from within. We have a leadership team where we're trying to talk about these things as we go, develop the leadership skills, empower them. And, and for us, let go of more reins, which is like a whole nother topic in itself. Um, so I don't know. So what, how do you characterize this, this phase and this different mindset towards hiring? Well, the, the talk at Saster that I think we both ran on kind of helped me frame this better internally. And it's more of just how long are you willing to wait? And, and what I mean by that is if you promote from within, you're basically betting that they're going to get to like 90% of what you, that outside hire could have gotten to in an acceptable amount of time. Like, and I think of, uh, you know, the folks we've promoted we did it for a reason because they've gotten to that level of what an outside person may have done quickly. And we accepted that time frame of like three months, six months, whatever we end up not giving that promotion. It feels like when we're like, ah, I'm not convinced you're going to get to that level of proficiency in the time we're willing to wait. So then it's like, okay, we start looking outside. And so it's more of thinking of our time urgency and creating the time urgency. You and I talked about this yesterday of we're not VC backed. We don't have a runway. We don't have a burn rate. So we have to, in a sense, create our timelines a little better because, um, yeah, the knock on bootstrapped or lifestyle business sometimes is that there's no urgency. They never grow because there's no ticking time bomb and there's no money that's running out and investors that need a return. It's more just like, I'm pretty comfortable making 80K a year. Like, yeah, I can make 85, but like, I'm good. 
And, uh, and so now it, it is, Hey, this product has to be launched by this date for us to hit our goals. And I think we're, we're getting better at, at clearing, at getting clarity on what we want to actually accomplish and like looking within yeah. and that dictates, I think, timeframes, which dictates hires, which, you know, flows all the way down. Yeah. Yeah. The time horizon thing is such a factor. And when you look at the non-bootstrap world, the uh, people are raising money. Yeah. They have runways. They know, hey, the bank account hit zero on this date. So we would better do something. Clear timeline. Day. Yeah. Yeah. Clear. Next round of funding comes in or you're making revenue, whatever it is. It's all a big math equation sometimes. Doesn't it feel like where you're like quotas? It's easy when there's just this playbook of like math that you go by. Right. Right. Whereas for us, we're just debating, okay, how much money do we put into our bank accounts versus reinvest? So we have to shift our mentality to act like investors, which is hard when, you know, it, it's not something that we're accustomed to, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, that mentality shift to bring the urgency, to bring the fire under everybody's ass, just to move quickly. It's hard. We gotta, we gotta figure out how to make that pivot. And that's something if I could go back, I would, I would, a learning that we would start putting more focus into earlier is like the math side and the numbers and really getting more clinical with that. Um, as opposed to just like, Hey, times are great. We're growing. It's all good. Um, you know, and it, I don't know if we would have done anything any different. Maybe it would give us confidence to make decisions sooner or to, you know, to pull the plug on things quicker, but there's comfort in numbers. That's just like the end of the day. We've had a few projects that I think should have been completed faster, but maybe because of this lack of urgency, they've been allowed to be kind of runaway projects. And like, that's, that's money in our pockets, just gone. And um, yeah, lessons learned. We need tighter constraints and then we need penalties for when these time horizons aren't hit. And so that's tough, right? I know that we're very touchy feely. We value people and, and people on our team, but like, yeah, do, do we need more consequences? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And it's tough when times are good, things are growing. So if anyone's in, in that phase of like, Hey, growth is great. We don't have to hit any certain benchmarks, but we know it's positive up and to the right. It's hard to uh, hold people more accountable in that. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the phase we're entering is yeah. Success is great, but like you have to kind of know what you're aiming for as opposed to just blindly achieving success and saying like, 60%, 70% doesn't matter. Right. Plus. And I think the context for this um, mentality shift is important because when we got into our space, it was kind of a sleepy industry. There was a bunch of mom and pop kind of SaaS businesses running. And over the first few years, we saw big money interests come in, buy up our competitors and um, invest a little more in what they're doing. So the, the bar is raising and that's why we need to be a little bit, you know, if it's still a sleepy industry, everybody's just kind of like, yeah, we make good money. Just, you know, not, there's no need to innovate and compete. Cool. Maybe we would have still been in that earlier mentality. Additionally, we're looking at adjacent verticals that do have funded big, big money startups um, as competition. And so I know for damn sure a billion dollars weren't invested into some company to, to not have the fire under there as those tight time horizons a runway. And so we need to adjust our mentality to compete with our competitors. And that's something that, um, you know, is going to vary per industry. I think anybody that's building something, you kind of know your competitive landscape and what external pressures there, there is, or there isn't. And, um, maybe that's what determines these kind of mindsets when it comes to hiring. That 
that's a great place to wrap it. That's a great moral moral of the story is knowing your competitive environment and timelines and uh, looking within rather than over the fence at what is everyone else doing on Twitter and, you know, and in Silicon Valley, that's, that's the um, fool's fool's Aaron fool's gold, I think is like just copying. Yeah. And knowing your own risk and reward proposition, how many more chips are you willing to push into the middle of the table versus cash out? That's something that, is different for each person, individual life circumstance, but um, also has to play in because again, as owners, we're the investors. We have to decide, hey, what's the potential reward on this? What's the risk? And every every hire is one of those discussions. Well, I know I want to get to work now, so that's uh, <laughs> that's that's a perfect place to leave it. That provokes you know a lot of thoughts for me to. Uh to get to it. Let's get to it. All right. All right. Thanks everybody. See you next time.